only a few minutes away. It's a really annoying feeling, actually. Um, but thanks, well, thanks everyone for coming, and thanks to the Dubai government, especially for organizing this event. Um, this event has been in the making for the last few months with the very strong support of the Dubai government. Um, <clears throat> and uh, on top of that, we want to, as an industry, I think we want to thank the Dubai government for uh, adopting crypto at a breakneck speed and also having very favorable regulations and having a very open mindset towards this industry. Um, I believe the long-term benefits for Dubai and the region will be very, very clear and will, will be huge. Um, and I think we're at the cusp of uh, embarking on exploring a new technology that is a new technology for money. Um, the new technology for money will power the new financial sectors, which will be the fundamental pillars for every other sector, be it you know, real, real estate, e-commerce, um, everything else. Um, <clears throat> so I think this is the first time we are having uh, experimenting with this new technology. There's many new things that we're, we're, uh, we're learning and there's many new things we're trying and then there's many new regulations that needs to be formed. So uh, Dubai is one of those very few places where um, industry players like us are invited to join in the conversation while, uh, while making some of the regulations. So we feel very privileged. And um, uh, looking at the number of people who are in crypto in Dubai in the, la in the last few days, um, I believe that the ecosystem is really growing tremendously thanks to the strong leadership of the Dubai government. Um, and this, this conference is really a joint, uh, is really one of the um, key milestones for, uh, for, this, this, for this type of discussion. So um, yeah, I don't want to dwell too much on it. And um, I think let's, let, let's start this conversation. Thank you for that, Susie. Um, so my name is Hannah Murphy. I'm a, a tech correspondent with the Financial Times based out of London. It's a pleasure to be here uh, at the World Government Summit um, and to moderate this first session uh, of the Crypto Global Forum. Um, without uh, further ado, uh, joining me to discuss the future of blockchain and industry perspective, we obviously have um, CZ, CEO of Binance, one of the biggest crypto uh, exchanges in the world, joining us via video link. Um, and then Kevin O'Leary, I'd like to uh, welcome you up to the stage. Kevin is the founder the founder and chairman of um, O'Shares Investment Advisors, a renowned investor, entrepreneur, and of course, US television star. And uh, last but not least, Suman Lee, welcome. <laughs> the founder of entertainment giant, SM Entertainment, and the pioneer of K-pop. Uh, what an exciting panel we have. Welcome, everyone. Um, before we get started, just a little bit of housekeeping. We're going to have some simultaneous translation. So um, Arabic will be uh, channel one on your headsets on the back of your seats. Channel two is English. Channel three is French and channel four is Korean. Uh, so when uh, Mr. Lee is speaking, there will be simultaneous translation into English um, available on channel two. Um, and finally, just a reminder, if you could put your phones on silent um, so that we can uh, continue with the panel undisturbed, that would be much appreciated. So we're here to discuss the uh, adoption of blockchain technology the challenges of that, and what the future might hold. 
Um, to set the scene here, about five years ago in uh, 2017, the price of Bitcoin was sort of soaring through $10,000. Um, and uh, the conversation then was about blockchain technology disrupting finance and sort of bringing in a new era of decentralized financial systems. But today, it seems to me that those conversations are far broader and far deeper about the power of blockchain technology to shake up all sorts of industries, gaming, music, entertainment, sports, um, and also about the power of blockchain technology to shake up areas such as data privacy, ownership, authentication, and also about sort of how and whether blockchain technology and virtual currencies can be a part of these online digital worlds uh, known as metaverses uh, that companies such as Microsoft and Facebook are telling us that they want to build. All of these conversations sort of to my mind come under this catch-all umbrella phrase of Web3 or Web3.0, um, decentralizing the internet, if you will. So, CZ, starting with you, w would you agree? Uh, how do you think about Web3? And where are we at in terms of the development of blockchain now compared with sort of five years ago? Sure, thanks. Um, yeah, I think um, the definition of Web3 is different from person to person. I actually uh, don't think anybody has a very precise definition of what that term means. Um, but I think anything, any decentralized technology um, can be classified as Web3 and the, uh, the newer version of Web, which will include um, cryptocurrencies as native currencies. Um, so I think the definition of that word is less important, but what we see based on what you just said, right? Um, we have not seen that much disruption or replacement of traditional financial uh, services like payments, uh, which is one of the, early, uh, the earliest use cases that's been identified even in the Bitcoin white paper. But guess what? Pe people today still mostly pay for coffee, lunch, using their existing um, payment methods. Um, they don't use crypto for that. But where crypto really shined are the use cases that traditional financial sectors does not provide, um, like global fundraising, um, like ICOs, IEOs, IDOs, et cetera, or even donations to Ukraine. Um, so uh, that cannot be done using, uh, not, cannot be done very easily using fiat currencies. Um, NFTs um, allow artists and content creators to monetize their work globally. Again, um, if you go through traditional art galleries, um, you, doesn't, you don't reach quite the same audience. Um, and DeFi, um, and uh, GameFi, many other things. So um, I think basically there's a, new, there's a lot of new use cases in, in the crypto, in the blockchain, or the Web3 space that are not overlapping. They're not disrupting the traditional industries yet. But if we look at the longer term, 10, 20, 30 years from now, they probably will. Um, so in the short term, I don't think there's, any, there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, overlaps or, or replacements um, that's complementary. But the longer term, I think the disruption will happen. Thanks, Susie. Kevin, I'm going to turn to you and ask, sort of, how do you think the blockchain space is evolving? What's the trajectory and where are we at? Well, you have to press the... Oh, there we go. Is that better? All right. Yeah. So I have a slightly different view. I, I look at it from the perspective of an institutional investor. I index for institutions. Uh, indexing is, is how capital is deployed for the majority of investing in the world. And there is no participation yet at the institutional level. There's a lot of excitement about this, but 
the truth is virtually no institutions have put any weighting of anything into any of this yet because it lacks regulation. And there's a lot of excitement around regulation coming. That's a good thing. But at the end of the day, um, it, when and if institutions index this, they'll be putting a 1% to 3% weighting into something like Bitcoin, running a $100 billion mandate or whatever it is. So it'll be a lot of capital coming in at the same time when it gets regulated. But the way they look at it, and I agree with their view, Bitcoin is not a coin. It's just software. Ethereum is software. HBAR is software. Polygram is software. All, the, all of this is, is software development. And it seeks to find productivity in the financial services market, the real estate market, other hard asset markets. Um, HBAR may be used eventually by uh, supply chain management, it's, it's semi-centralized. It's semi There's all kinds of different ideas coming here. And what it really requires is the regulator to regulate. So no institution is going to say, okay, great, I really think Polygon is going to be the next big thing and I'm going to wait a 3% weighting in Polygon. They just raised $400 million. And so, but if you look at who actually invested, it was high net worth individuals. I, I invested in it. I thought it was a great idea, but there wasn't, I don't think an iota of institutions involved. And so the way you got to look at that is it's really a positive in this sense. If those of us in this room understand this technology, this software technology, which is all it is, and you're willing to invest in Microsoft or you're willing to invest in Google, that's just software. So why wouldn't you invest in this software? And the only reason you're not, if you're an institution, is it's not regulated. The, the, the equity of Microsoft is a regulated security that trades globally. Same with, you know, Google and everything else. It's just missing that last mile. So while there's a lot of excitement about what this can be, and I'm on that camp that says it can be great, nothing's going to happen until it gets regulated in terms of real price stability, real capital appreciation, and, and, and a real amount of capital coming into it from global investors. And so we're probably two or three years away from that right now. Okay, let's definitely return to the, to the regulation point and go in, into a bit more detail about that shortly. Um, Mr. Lee, speaking from your vantage point as a music pioneer, um, what impact do you think that uh, technologies such as blockchain can have on um, the entertainment and culture industries? Uh, can I, can I speak in uh, Korean? Yeah, please do speak in Korean, and uh, we have channel two for the translation. Okay, thank you very much. 아, 저희는 그 문화라는 것을 어, 접하면서 저희는 culture technology라고 하는 것을 저희가 아, 말을 만들어내고 창안해냈습니다. 아, culture라는 것이 옛날에 우리 이 중동에도 굉장히 중요한 아주 리치한 컬처들이 옛날에 굉장히 많았었는데 그러한 것들이 전수가 안 되고 또 이어지지가 않고 그냥 유적지로만 남아 있고 이런 경우가 굉장히 많았었습니다. 그래서 이 문화라는 것을 성문화해서 말로 쓸수 있게 또뭐 포뮬러화할 수 있다면 공식화할 수 있다면 아, 클래식처럼 이렇게 음악이 클래식이 되고 또 사료에 바뀌어가는 어드밴스드 뮤직이 나오고 컨템포러리 뮤직이 나오고 이러는 것처럼 우리가 일단 아, 글로서 성문화에서 아, 많은 사람들이 그것을 보고 그 새로운 문화에 접하면서 그 문화를 발전시켜 나가면 얼마나 좋을까 
또 우리 회사로 볼 때는 SM 엔터테인먼트 직원들이 그런 것을 보면서 일단 포뮬라화돼 있는 그런 성문화되어 있는 컬처 테크놀로지라는 것을 보면서 우리가 문화를 기술적으로 또 우리가 공식화하듯이 공식표를 만들듯이 그렇게 한번 해볼 수는 없을까라는 생각이었습니다. 그런 것이 이제 그 기술과 결합이 되면서 이제는 문화와 기술이 결합이 된 하나의 결정체를 우리는 CT라고 SM에서는 부르고 있습니다. 제가 그 말을 옛날에 IT가 많이 시작되면서 많이 이렇게 보편타당성 있게 이렇게 보편화될 때 저희는 IT 대신에 우선 CT를 준비하자 아, 미래에는 CT가 굉장히 중요해질 것이다 라고 얘기를 했습니다 아, 지금은 이제 이 블록체인과 이러한 여러 가지 기술을 통해서 우리가 모든 사람들이 그것을 활용하고 이용하고 이제 우리한테 좋은 문화생활을 주는 그런 세상이 됐습니다 우리 CT를 통해서 이 블록체인과 또 여러 가지 기술을 통해서 우리가 아, 요즘 SNS를 하면서 우리가 새로운 아, 크리에이션 하는 시대에 들어갔다고 봅니다 우리 인간들은 가장 우리에게 인간들에게 주어진 가장 축복이면서도 가장 하고 싶은 것은 크리에이션이라고 생각합니다 그래서 저희는 그 시티와 함께 또 기술과 융화시키면서 저희는 그 크리에이션을 할수 있는 것을 특별한 컴포저나 특별한, 아, 특별한 작사가나 특별한 프로듀서가 아니더라도 한 12살 먹은 어린아이들이 그러한 재능이 있고 하고 싶다면 저희 메타버스에 들어와서 이러한 것들을 만들 수 있도록 즉 크리에이트 할수 있도록 이렇게 그러한 메타버스를 지금 구상하고 곧 선보일 예정입니다 이럴 때 가장 중요한 것은 원래의 그 값어치로서 누군가가 크리에이션 한 것을 사용하는 것은 좋지만 마음대로 사용해서 저작권 이슈라든가 이러한 문제가 생겨나는 것을 해결하지 않으면 안될 것으로 생각합니다. 따라서 저희한테는 그 CT가 있기 때문에 굉장한 그이 새로운 기술들을 활용을 해서 누구나 다 창조를 할수 있는 기쁨을 어, 맛보게 할수 있을 텐데 그것이 누구를 또 해하게 할 수는 없다 그래서는 안 된다 따라서 저작권의 문제를 먼저 잘 해결한다면 어, 굉장한 우리에게 인간 모두에게 베네핏이 있지 않을까 이렇게 생각합니다 Thank you, Mr. Lee. You, you end mentioning sort of copyright and what blockchain technology can do there. Sort of one of the things that has emerged um, that Cezu mentioned earlier are sort of NFTs or non-fungible tokens, essentially digital ownership uh, certificates registered on a blockchain. Um, Cezu, could you tell us about NFTs, which obviously exploded in popularity last year through this year. Um, obviously, some critics complain that what we're looking at and what we most often see is sort of apes and punks and pictures of, of cats online and very cartoonish drawings. Um, what do you think has actually really pulled people to this latest NFT boom? And do you think the hype is sort of um, opportunistic speculation because of prices or are there other, are there other draws? Sure. Um, yeah. 
I think there's a bit of everything, to be honest. Um, there's a little bit of hype. There's a little bit of uh, uh, speculation, but there's also a quite there. There is fundamental technology invention uh, or innovation. I think NFTs is the first time where we have a technology that can verify authenticity uh, through the blockchain, and it also keeps a history. And um, so, just this alone uh, sounds very, very simple, but we couldn't do this in a decentralized way before. Uh, before, we always have to rely on some central party uh, that may or may not exist forever. So um, just because of that, um, this allowed artists to share their art. And, um, and as I said, mentioned earlier, this allowed them to sell their art globally, sell their content, sell their work globally. And they get very good prices for it because they can reach such a, a large audience. The liquidity is very good. Whether the prices are overpriced, I'm not sure. Um, I actually like I don't understand the pricing of NF, NF, NFTs at all. I don't collect NFTs. I'm not I'm not an art collector. Uh, I'm a software developer. So, and but NFTs can like in our discussions with uh, uh, entertainment uh, uh, um, partners like SM uh, Entertainment, and also like for example um, other like football uh, clubs where they sell merchandise. Many of the mer merchandise are f um, like in, in countries like China, Indonesia, or Southeast Asia, other countries. Um, there's like 10x of the merchant merchants being sold than what they sell themselves. So meaning, meaning like 90% of merchandise they sell are um, another authentic ones, and the clubs don't get the money for it. Um, if you attach an NFT per merchandise, then you can you can solve that copyright problem. So you can solve that authenticity problem, and you can also potentially have a much stronger revenue engine. So all of these things are, uh, are problems that technology can solve. Uh, whether a GIF, a JPEG, um, a uh, ape uh, is worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars, I'm not sure. Um, that's up to it. But in the world, if anyone's willing to pay for it, then it's, it's worth that much. So whether the market will sustain that or not, I'm not sure. So um, yeah, so I think the NFTs is a fundamental technology that will stay. Uh, whether the market is too hot or, or too cold, um, market fluctuates. Um, that's just how markets work. So, um, but I do, I do think the technology is a, is a very useful invention and it will stay. Thanks, Cezy. Kevin, what do you think of, of NFTs? What use cases beyond the sort of collectibles, what use cases do you see in the future? NFTs are a, a very interesting use case for using blockchain, and I, I, I agree with CZ on authentication. I'll give you a use case that's under uh, development right now in a sector that most people in this room know well, uh, watches. The origination of watches, for example, Patek Philippe, Omega, uh, FP Journe, they only make a few thousand watches a year, and they sell a few billion dollars worth of them every new model that comes out. But the secondary market around the world is 12x the size of the primary market. And it's, it, it has many dealers. Uh, the very famous one here, Suzuki, is well known around the world as one of the premier uh, dealer brokers of watches. And the challenge you have in buying a watch after it's been owned once is they're fakes. There are hundreds of millions of fakes. And again, an NFT would really work there uh, because you'd want to get the origina origination. And the way they would do that is you can scan the surface of the dial at a micro level, and there's small imperfections in it that really give it a fingerprint. So there's a, there's a lot of work going on in that area. Here's the problem with NFTs right now. If you have a smart contract on an NFT, I don't care if it's art or it's a lazy ape or whatever it is, 
And every time it trades, it yields a reward for somebody. That smells a lot like a security. Is that a dividend? Is that a capital appreciation? If you are digitizing art and fractionalizing it and selling it in pieces, and there's a Liechtenstein that's being sold that way right now in the U.S. under a Reg A. It actually has a prospectus. Is that a security? And again, I go back to the, the, the infrastructure of our regulatory environment globally. If it smells like a duck, walks like a duck, swims like a duck, it's probably a duck. And if it's giving you interest and it's paying you capital after you've purchased it, and you don't think it's security, um, you're at risk. You're at risk for trading something that is eventually going to be ruled as a security. And I think that's holding back the entire NFT market outside of the JPEGs and everything else. Again, we're waiting for the regulator to regulate. Now, the Loomis bill, which is going through a bipartisan agreement in, in, on the Hill in the United States, uh, is going to get tabled in the next few months. It has a lot of very positive policy in it for blockchain, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and several other items that it deals with directly. But it does not deal with NFTs. And so we are a long way away from having this resolved. And I would argue that every financial institution uh, in the world is not going to trade this unless they know with certainty it's regulated. You would be so offside trading something that yields interest if you're an institution and it, and it you, I mean, that's why it's interesting, but it's nowhere. Right. The ambiguity is holding it back for the moment. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I, I wanted to follow up and ask about another concept, um, sort of the metaverse, and uh, sort of how important do you think blockchain and um, virtual uh, currencies might be for the metaverse or the metaverses that may or may not come in the future? I, I think the, me the metaverse has a great opportunity and a big problem. And here, here's, here's the way to look at it. The, the use case for it today is in gaming. There's no question that that's going to drive adoption. And I'll give you another use case that actually is happening in Miami right now. There is a developer selling high-end condominiums now. Not, they don't have any virtual existing building. They haven't even broken the ground. They're almost sold it out they did it all on a model of a metaverse. In other words, you went and saw your condominium with goggles on, you actually walked through it, you saw all the amenities, the pool, the pool parties, the restaurants, you could walk in and sit down in the restaurant. They spent a few million dollars setting this up and they sold out a multi-million dollar condo project. So there's tremendous possibilities, even in these early iterations. But here's the problem. What's going to drive this ultimately long-term is advertising dollars. It's companies wanting to attract you to their product and service on the metaverse and making that really interactive experience be something special. So whether you're buying a car or a pen or jewelry or food items or, or alcohol or whatever it is you're buying, you're going to find it somewhere on the metaverse. But if you're a big brand, a global brand, you're not going to put that on an uncurated metaverse. There's two paths being pursued now, a curated metaverse hailed by the Facebook of the world and others, Microsoft as well, where they will guarantee you if you're Procter & Gamble, your store will not be sitting beside a porn shop on the metaverse. And you're going to pay for that. You're going to want to be curated in your section. On the other hand, if you're a cowboy and you're just rogue and you want to have fun because it's unregulated, there's plenty of unregulated metaverses being developed. 
I don't see how they're going to survive long term unless the use case is for gaming and some subset of the gaming market because no advertiser is going to put their product or service into an uncurated environment because it'll just be chaos. And so the market hasn't decided yet. It's too early. But that's going to be the fork in the road. That's going to be the difference. It'll get real when Procter & Gamble advertise in a curated metaverse. That's the way I look at it. But presumably in, a, in these virtual worlds, there'll be virtual currencies. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg's vision of, is a sort of a huge economy of people selling digital goods and services to each other in these spaces. Does that chime with you? I, I'm the only guy in the world that doesn't hate Mark Zuckerberg. I got to tell you, <laughs> I love the guy because he kind of understands this, but he's got a really bad rap out there and Facebook has a bad rap, but he's probably going to be the first to do this because he already has billions of users and he can curate it. He can go to a company and say, I'll create a safe space for you, here's the cost, and I'll bring billions of users to it. Now, whether it's tokens or gaming or whether it's advertising, whether it's an experience like selling real estate or whatever it is, He's the only person right now that can deliver that many users. And so while everybody, you know, that stock's been cut in half. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a buyer of that stock here because I actually think he's going to get there first. But that's a decision every investor has to make. And it's a controversial one. But you need users. You need billions of users. I don't, there's no other company that has that many that can do this. Mr. Lee, I wanted to ask you... What significance NFTs and the metaverse hold for you at SM Entertainment? Uh, NFT와 메타버스의 결합은 아마 미래 경제 체제를 구축할 것이다 이렇게 생각합니다. 아, 그런 것에 대해서는 뭐 우리 미스터 원더풀 씨께서도 어, 굉장히 지금 잘 얘기를 해주시고 또 많은 분들이 어, 잘 알고 계셔서 어, 제가 얘기하는 문제는 좀 아닌 것 같긴 한데. 저는 NFT에 대해서 좀 얘기하고 싶은 것은 어, NFT는 새로운 그 창조물이다라고 생각을 하고 아까도 말씀드렸듯이 어, 우리 인간들이 제일 하고 싶은 건데 너무 탤런트가 없어서 또는 경험해보지 못해서 어, 못하는 것이 하나의 창조라는 것이라고 생각을 하고 우리에게 그것이 주어질 수만 있다면 우리는 아마 창조라는 것을 누구나 다 하고 싶어 할 것으로 생각합니다. 그래서 그 NFT라는 것은 하나의 창조물로 보고 그 NFT를 만들 수 있도록 모든 사람들이 만들 수 있도록 우리가 그것을 제공해 줄 수는 없을까 해 저는 굉장히 많이 생각을 해보고 또 메타버스를 통해서 그런 블록체인의 기술을 가지고 우리가 여러 가지 보호도 받을 수 있는 그런 세상이 왔다라고 생각하면서 제가 생각하는 것은 그것의 시작은 어떻게 보면 우리가 늘상 해오던 play to earn 이라고 하는 것으로 이제 겨우 시작이 된것 같습니다 그러나 마지막은 어떻게 보면 우리가 해야 될걸 그보다 훨씬 더 높은 단계는 또 우리가 정말 궁극적으로 해야 될 것은 play to create 라고 생각합니다 제가 주장하는 것은 우리는 어떤 창조를 정말 play 하듯이 너무 즐거움을 가지고 할수 있다 그런데 이 창조를 하고 뭔가 세상을 만들어내는 사람들 어떤 것을 만들어내는 사람들은 그 사람이 굉장히 고생하는 것 같고 굉장히 많이 시간을 소비하는 것 같고 또 남들이 안 하는 걸 함으로 인해서 굉장히 인정도 못 받고는 괴로울 것으로 보이겠지만 저희 음악을 창작하고 
또 댄스를 만들고 하는 사람들처럼 즐거운 사람들은 없을 것 같습니다 또한 어떤 수학 공식을 만들거나 새로운 것을 만들어내는 사람들처럼 기쁘고 가치 있는 삶을 사는 사람들은 없을 거라고 생각합니다 그래서 제가 생각하는 것은 플레이 투언 우리가 농경 시대에 정착하는 즉 우리가 농사를 짓게 되면서부터 우리는 안정된 삶을 시작했다고 볼 수가 있을 것 같습니다 그래서 농경 시대에 들어가면서 그러면서 우리는 문화를 즐기는 그런 시대가 시작됐다고도 할수 있습니다 그거와 비교한다면 플레이 투 언은 이제 우리가 정말 즐길 수 있는 시대에 들어간 것 같고요 플레이 투 언을 함으로 인해서 우리가 어쩌면 은그 메타버스 안으로 전부 매료되는 생활을 할수 있는 게 아닐까 그것의 끝은 무엇일까라고 생각한다면 저는 창조라고 얘기하고 싶습니다 따라서 NFT가 메타버스와 만나면서 이런 NFT를 만날, 아, 만들 수 있도록 저희가 할수 있는 일은 아까도 말씀드렸듯이 컬처 테크놀로지를 통해서 무언가를 만들 수 있을 텐데 그것을 많은 젊은이들에게 알려주고 사용할 수 있게 하는데 특히 누구나 할수 없는 12살의 아이가 사실 배우지도 않았는데 또 60살의 나이를 가지신 분도 지금이라도 댄스를 만들고 싶고 춤을 출수 추고 싶기도 하지만 또 음악도 만들고 싶은 사람이 아직도 굉장히 많습니다 다른 일을 하면서도 나는 음악을 좋아하고 밴드를 만들고 싶은 사람도 많고 생활의 여유가 되면서부터 점점 더 이제는 직장 생활을 하면서 돈을 벌면서도 그런 생활을 하는 사람들이 많은데 그러한 것을 어렸을 때부터도 접할 수 있다면 즉 저희는 킬러 컨텐츠를 만들어내는 그러한 회사이고 저는 그것을 만들어내는 프로듀서입니다 많은 창작자들과 함께 컴포서, 커리어그래퍼들과 함께 그것을 만들어내고 있는데 12살의 어린아이들이 그것을 하고 싶은 마음이 있을 때 그것을 정말 자기가 작곡자로서 배운 것이 없지만 곡을 만들 수 있게 해준다면 얼마나 좋을까 이런 생각을 하고 저는 그것을 메타버스에서 현실적으로 할수 있게 하는 것 메타버스를 곧 선보일 것이며 또한 아, 춤을 만들 수 있으면 얼마나 좋을까 아, 이러한 춤을 추는 것을 좋아하고 일생 동안 춤을 안 추고 어, 계속 사무실에 갇혀서 일을 한 사람들 중에도 나이가 들어서도 춤을 만들 수 있고 어, 또 아바타를 통해서 춤을 출 수도 있고 또한 그 춤의 커리어그래피를 자기 자신이 창작을 해놓을 수 있는 그러한 플레이 투 크리에이트 라고 하는 메타버스를 저희는 하고 싶습니다. Thank you. It's fascinating to hear about sort of the the influencer um, and creator economy and how this could sort of fuel that. Um, I want to speak to some of the challenges in the space. CZ, from my perspective, you know, this is still very nascent and markets are very immature you know you see a lot of market manipulation a lot of scams the media likes to jump on these um uh, often what do you think are some of the those challenges in the space and how can they be overcome in order to sort of bring in regulators as kevin has spoken about for that last part of the puzzle sure i think um the industry will solve those problems uh, and most of the problem will solve itself um, number one is uh, the blockchain crypto industry are very transparent. So if you trade on using DeFi, um, a, you can see who's manipulating the market, who, ha who's the, who has large orders. Uh, 
um, all the orders on the blockchain, you can trace them. And you want, I think right now people are still quite new to this world and they don't know, many of them don't know how to analyze it yet. But the law enforcement are getting exceedingly well, um, uh, 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 exceedingly good at, at tracking some of those data. So for example, if you look at the Bitfinex hack, the hack happened in 2016. And then a couple of months ago, this hacker started using some of the funds. They got caught right away. And those funds actually went through mixers um, to, try to, to try to hide their tracks. But even then, the law enforcement uh, tracked that right, uh, right through. So the tracking is actually much, much more transparent, which actually means that illicit activities, manipulation, all of those things are much, much harder to do in crypto. And um, also uh, in the crypto market, it's actually, in, from a trading perspective, it's actually much more fair. Um, Bitcoin trades on thousands of different exchanges around the world. And uh, it's actually much harder to manipulate the market, whereas it, compared to traditional stocks, most stocks only trade on one market. And so if you can manipulate that one uh, stock on, one that, on, the, on that one market, you can actually much easier to manipulate the price. So the global uh, nature of crypto is actually much, much better in terms of uh, being fair, uh, et cetera. I think also the regulations are shaping up. Um, so now we have many different countries. Some countries have bad regulations. Um, so not all regulations are good. Uh, not all regulations are bad. Uh, good regulations are good, bad regulations are bad. Some countries like they outright ban crypto. I think that's good. Uh, that's going to hurt the economy in the long in the long term. That's not good for themselves. Um, there are countries which are adopting a much more open stance to it. Um, on a couple of the points, I actually have a slightly different view to uh, Calvin. I think he and I think uh, have a slightly different worldviews. Um, I think institution adoption is happening. Uh, it's just that, okay, if you look at the institutions in the U.S., yes, they, many of the larger ones needs to, uh, needs to, uh, needs to wait for reg regulation to become 100% clear to be able to do stuff. Many of them have uh, invested in other crypto startups or other crypto funds or even spin-offs of funds um, that are trading in crypto. And there are institutional uh, players trading in crypto in a large way already. Um, <clears throat> and... I also believe that price stability is a function of the market cap. Uh, if, if Bitcoin's market cap reaches 100 trillion, it will be very stable. Uh, when it's 2 trillion, it's going to be less stable. When, it's, when another asset is 1 billion, uh, it's going to have higher fluctuations because if somebody puts in 100 million, then the price is going to uh, fluctuate more. So the price stability comes as a, as a function of market size, not so much regulation. Regulators don't, there's, I, I believe of all the regulations in the world, there's no regulation that says that the price of a certain thing cannot move more than, by, more than X percent in a single day. Um, there are circuit breakers on different exchanges, but um, th th those only work in short term. Uh, if we look at you know, uh, some of the tech stock, uh, real estate, ex ex et cetera, if you look at the Russian ruble, um, they all have dropped significantly. I think a free market is much better for determining the real price of things instead of uh, uh, regulations trying to, trying, trying to stabilize things. Um, also, there's a couple points earlier. Uh, <clears throat> on the metaverse part, I, don't I actually don't think metaverse will have necessarily have to depend on advertising dollar. Advertising dollars are very much web two. A business model. Um, you drive traffic, you have a lot of eyeballs, and then you sell ads to, the, to your users, which typically involves in selling, <clears throat> selling a lot of the user data. In a Web3 model, you have, you have transactions directly. 
um, you can have microtransactions. You can have people pay you 0.1 cents for reading an article, for playing with a, for, for, for using a new weapon, for interacting with your, uh, with your, virtual, uh, with your virtual environment. So um, there, there could be very new business models that, that come up that does not depend on advertising. So advertising is not, I actually think advertising is a really bad business model because um, um, it sells the user information. The, the users become the product, which is bad. Um, we should, the, 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 the way businesses make money should be more transparent. And actually Web3 allows that much more trans transparent business model. Um, I also don't necessarily agree that, F, uh, uh, I think Facebook has a lot of advantage given their user size. But I actually think in new industries, typically newer players have a lot of advantage as well. They're more nimble, they're more agile. Um, you know, Facebook is not the biggest social media player. Um, Microsoft is not the biggest search engine. And IBM is not the biggest OS, uh, uh, OS uh, or um, office producer. So uh, in every, every time that when there's new industry coming up, the older big giants, um, they are optimized for one thing. Um, and sometimes the over-optimization makes them harder to change. So there are different, uh, but there are also uh, many, many cases where the, uh, the, the giant was able to use their market um, dominance to, to win new services. Of course, both, both exist in, 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 um, uh, in, in abundance. So, um, but yeah, I just want to point out some of the differences um, that may exist. And lastly, um, regul <coughs> regulation, regulators don't create regulations in a vacuum. Um, they only create regulations after an industry exists. Um, so they don't, they, don't, they don't dream up of regulations for NFTs today because NFT is so new. Um, regulators don't predict the future. They don't, they don't, they don't drive industries. Uh, what they do is they protect the industries and they protect the users once the industry forms, which is still very important. But regulators are not going to sit there, dream up of what's going to happen in the future, make, make, make regulations. The larger players, the, the larger existing regulated financial industries, yes, they are slightly disadvantaged because they can't move until there's regulation. So basically, if you think about an empty road um, with no speed signs, the existing uh, financial players, they, they cannot drive at all. Um, they just have to wait. Whereas the startups, like, they drive as fast as they can uh, because there's no speed sign. Um, there's somewhere in the middle, which is probably better. Look, you wanna drive at a speed where other people are driving, where it's safe, um, but you wanna be innovative. So um, the, um, there's, there's, different, there's different, uh, different players in, in, uh, in the industry operating in different modes. So that's kind of how I see uh, regulations. But um, fortunately, there are many progressive governments like the governments in Dubai, in UAE, and many, parts of the, uh, many other parts of the world that are pushing regulations for crypto in a big way and in a very positive way. So I'm very, very uh, positive about this industry moving forward. Thanks, Susie. Um We've only got a couple of minutes left. I have a couple more questions. Kevin, I want to ask really quickly, uh, do you have a, a thought, any thoughts on um, what Susie said about price stability being solved by the size of the market? Oh. Size of market and price stability, they are correlated. But what matters in a security, if you want to call Bitcoin a security, is to have the broadest market possible. It's great that it trades on a lot of exchanges all around the world, but it's, there's a very limited demand use case for it right now because there's virtually no institutions that own it. Um, if it was tomorrow and the regulator in the US said that 
we're going to allow Bitcoin. And the, the test would be what the Canadian market did. They allowed the very first exchange-traded fund to trade on a Toronto exchange, a Toronto stock exchange, a traditional institutional vehicle, and the underlying security was Bitcoin. Then they issued another ETF with the underlying security being Ethereum, and they were wildly successful. They had billions of dollars in them within hours. And so the potential is great. And the whole idea would be that if, if other regulators, specifically the SEC, and the Federal Trade Commission allowed the same structure, a tested structure, already done in Canada, already working, and allowed for a U.S. ETF, that would create an institutional demand for the product. And there's no question that the reason you have, you know, 50% volatility almost every 11 months in Bitcoin is there is no bid at the institutional level. They're just, for all the excitement about it, it's, it's a zero bid. And so, you're going to have vol until this thing is an institutional product because the reason you get stability is when you're an institution and you allocate, typical allocation might be one and a half to five percent max. You're running a typical mandate. There's 11 sectors in the S&P. You're allowed to own up to 20 percent in any one sector, but no more than five percent in any one stock. The same thing for Bitcoin. So if you had a hundred billion dollar fund and you allocated 150 basis points, there'd be a lot less volatility because when it trades down and you're the manager, you buy it back to one and a half percent. And when it exceeds one and a half percent, your limit, you sell it. But that amount of demand increases the volume by a thousand X. And that's why I say, and I still say this, and I've been saying it since 2017, it's going to get real when the U.S. regulator allows an ETF with Bitcoin in it. You want to own Bitcoin the day before they do that. That's my argument. And so I don't know when that's going to be. There's 17 licenses applied for right now. Um, I don't see we're going to get it this year. I don't think we're going to get it during the Biden administration. So maybe you've got to wait three years. I don't know. But I'm adamant on it. When the institution buys it, it's real. And when that happens, it's going to appreciate in value dramatically, probably more than anybody can even guess. So if you want to see $100,000, $250,000 Bitcoin, the only way that happens is when institutions can buy it. So if the answer is regulation, what, what exactly, in an ideal world, what would you like to see um, in terms of what regulators do and, and sort of should, should crypto regulations be carved out and there be sort of more specific crypto regulations or sort of brought under existing financial regulation? Well, what I want and what's actually happening are two different things. So let's talk about what's really happening. There's yeah. four vectors of regulation happening right now and happening very quickly. Number one, the Loomis bill. We've talked about it already. Going through a bipartisan group of senators and congressmen to be tabled in the months ahead. Does not deal with NFTs. Number two, the SEC is contemplating auditing carbon. Now, you may think that has nothing to do with crypto, but it does, because the granddaddy of crypto is Bitcoin mining. And for most institutions that wanted a proxy to Bitcoin pricing, they couldn't buy Bitcoin, so what they did is they bought the shares of public Bitcoin companies. Marriott, I guess Hive, I'll give you some of the ones that are indexed in the US. Uh, Marathon, Hive, uh, HUD8, um, those are the kind of stocks you could own, and they traded in almost perfect correlation to the, the price of Bitcoin. However, they all use carbon offsets to say that they're carbon neutral. Well, 
if you read the tea leaves of the SEC ruling or contemplation, and that's the number two vector, number three is the president's own executive order, which talked about climate change, which was a direct swipe at Bitcoin mining. And then lastly, you've got the Larry Fink BlackRock letter that is against anything to do with hydro, uh, hydrocarbons. And so all of a sudden, if you have to audit the carbon credit, these companies aren't clean anymore because there's no way to audit a ledger-based carbon credit versus the offset of how much electricity you're using from a carbon source. So this is a bad news for Bitcoin. You're going to see a lot of this discussion next week in Miami at Bitcoin 2022 um, in trying to figure out how to get around this problem. The only way around it, hydroelectricity for Bitcoin. That's the future. And nuclear power. Those are the only two that will, you can say are green mining. So there's a lot of cross currents in the policy right now that are going to come to hurt certain aspects of crypto, Bitcoin being the first one that's going to get damaged around this DSG issue. Thanks, Kevin. Um, given we've only got a, a couple of minutes, we may already be over time. I'm just going to finish and ask Susie, you know, ideal world, what do you want regulators to do? In the ideal world, we should just say, look, um, have the business, let's fight the bad players in the, in the space. Um, you know, the scammers, the hackers, uh, let's fight those guys. And let's regulate crypto as a new asset type. I think one, one of the things that happens quite a lot in, the, uh, in this space is that people try to use the existing asset type to classify crypto. And this is like classifying cars into a type of horse. Uh, it doesn't quite work that well. And it has a lot of uh, legacy issues. Uh, and the existing uh, classifications usually will put them into an existing regulator agency. And uh, so what we have seen Dubai do really well is they set up a new, brand new agency to regulate crypto. Um, this new agency does not have the legacy issues of you know, protecting the incumbents, et cetera. So I think this will really help the uh, crypto to grow in, in this region. So yeah, I think basically we 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 want we look for regulate the regulations are not all set um, uh, because the industry is still growing, and we just want to look for regulators with an open mindset. I think that's the most important part. And crypto is is ready for that sort of historically. It's been thought of as a little allergic to regulation, but is crypto ready? I think crypto is ready. Um, I, I think regulations does not hurt crypto. Uh, just bad regulations hurt crypto. Uh, bad regulations doesn't actually hurt crypto. It just hurts that country. Um, it just hurts citizens of that country. Um, so there's 200 something countries in the world and each one of them may have slightly different regulations. Many of them will be good. And good regulations is good for crypto and it's good for the population, it's good for that country. Thank you so much. I believe that's all we have time for. Um, I'm going to hand uh, over back to the team here at the Global Crypto Forum. Um, we also have a break for lunch uh, at 12, uh, and then we will be back in the TDRA hall uh, from 1 p.m. Thank you very much. Thank you to everyone here today.